The Old Testament reading is found in Exodus chapter 12. That's on page 54. The Bible's in front of you. Exodus 12, verses 21 through 28, and then I'll be reading verses 43 through 50. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourself according to your clans, and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and touch the lintel and two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of this house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Exodus 43. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover, for no foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one it shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall, shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land. But no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among them. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. And now in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verses 14 through 20. And that's on page 881. As I find it. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they'd eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This is the word of the Lord. This morning as we gather together 
as the body of Christ, we get to celebrate the sacrament of baptism, which was instituted by our Lord Jesus Christ and commanded by God to be applied to those who have faith, to them and to their children, until the end of the age. This morning, we're going to baptize Sidney Ann Sullivan, because she has confessed Christ is Lord, because she believes in her heart that God rose him from the dead. God told Abraham to apply the sign of the covenant to himself and to his children. This covenant sign would be a physical reminder of God's covenant with him. As Christians, we are children of Abraham by faith in Christ. And we now apply the new covenant sign to ourselves and to our children. For we are counted as children of the same covenant promise. Through baptism, we are fulfilling our covenant obligation. A sacrament is a visible picture of God's grace. It's the visible word. It is a billboard where God tells you, I love you. I will be faithful to you. Just as a rainbow is a visible reminder that God will never again flood the earth. A sacrament is a visible promise to God's people of his grace. In baptism, the gospel is made visible. It is given to strengthen our faith by means of a physical sign. By it, we passively receive and are united to Christ. We are admitted to the body. It represents our union with Christ of our regeneration and of our sins being washed away by the blood of Christ and the life everlasting. This sacrament communicates the gospel. They remind us that we need Jesus. They seal upon our conscience the promise of his good will towards us because our faith is weak. In baptism, we do not celebrate human achievement, but it is a means in which God acts and seals the promises of the gospel to us. Remember your baptism or another baptism and be reminded of the way that God has been faithful to his covenant promises. This water is not magical. It has no power in and of itself, but it is a sacrament given to us by a loving God who loved us so much that he sent Christ. And this water takes effect only by the power of the Holy Spirit. Sydney, this morning, God looks at you and says, you have received a spirit of adoption. You are my daughter. I am well pleased with you because of Jesus. Baptized infant and adult alike have the same obligation to lay hold to the covenant blessings, to preserve in the faith, to be obedient. And today, Sydney will also be taking the Lord's Supper for her first time. She'll be coming because she has given a credible profession of faith to our session. This morning, you'll be able to taste and see that the Lord is good. Come forward, Sydney. The session will also come forward. Turn around. Everyone wants to see you. They don't want to see me. You will. In this sacrament, it is ordained by Jesus himself and is given through one who has been ordained and set apart for the ministry 
And as I administer in his name, all the benefits of the new covenant are given to you in Christ. Sydney, do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure and without hope except in his sovereign mercy? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the Savior of sinners, and do you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel? Do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon his grace and the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes the follower of Christ? Do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? Do you submit yourself to the government of the church and to its discipline and promise to study its purity and peace? Do you? Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for Sydney Ann. We are thankful that you have revealed yourself to her, that you have made yourself known to her, that you have been faithful to the covenant promises to her family. Lord, we, know, we now, as you have given us this water, it represents her being cleansed by the blood of Christ, the washing away of her sins, that it will always be a reminder to her of your covenant love and faithfulness through Christ, her Lord. Just as you saved Israel passing through the water of the Red Sea, may this water remind her of her redemption in Christ. Amen. Sydney Ann, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. May we be a thankful people always, remembering your promises to us in Jesus. Lord, you need nothing from us, yet you desire us to be obedient to your word because you love us. May this offering be a testament of our faithfulness to you. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Father, we thank you. What a beautiful picture of your faithfulness this morning. Um, as we see the picture of Sydney's baptism um, as a young child placing her faith in you. And now we look and see this picture of our older children preparing uh, to begin a new stage in their life. And we thank you um, as we have watched them grow up for the picture of your faithfulness to them. And Father, we just pray this morning that as they begin this new stage in their life, that you would bless them, that you would give them wisdom for the decisions they are going to be faced with, that you would help them to seek your face at all times. Father, for those who are moving away in a few months, uh, we pray that you would surround them with a new Christian family in the places where they are going. That you would help them to find a church who will love them, who will shepherd them, who will teach them their, your word. Father, we pray that they would continue to be faithful to you. We pray that you would strengthen them against the temptations of this world.
that you would help them to grow each day in the knowledge of your grace and will. Father, we pray that you would help them to trust you always. That you would remind them always that you are a God who loves them, who forgives them, and who will never leave them or forsake them. Father, we pray for their parents. We pray that you would help them at this time to trust their children to you. That you would strengthen their faith. And that you would help them to give their children over to you so that you might use them to further your kingdom in this world. Help each of these students as they go forward, Father, to remember the calling they have, that you have placed on their lives, to be faithful to your covenant, to be salt and light in this world, and to be ambassadors for the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever it is that you send them. Bless these families, Father. We thank you again that we have gotten to watch them grow up. And we look forward to when they return and join us again, um, that we can see how you will continue to be faithful in their lives. We ask all of these prayers in your son Jesus' name. Amen. No more crying. Now we would also, if you're able and willing, all the mothers, if you would please stand. We recognize our mothers in light of the ten, and in light of the commandments that say we need to honor our mother and our father. At the same time, we want to realize that because we live in a broken world, our relationship with our mothers are not always great. Some women we know want to have children, but never were able to. Some of us have broken relationships with our mothers, but we want to honor those mothers of ours and remind them that they need Jesus. So I've asked Bill to come pray for them. Let's bow our heads. <clears throat> Father God, there is nothing more pure this side of heaven than a mother's love. Father, thank you for the love, support, and nurture we have received from our mothers. Father, as a son, I thank you for my godly mother. Father, her consistency, her love, support, nurture, and encouragement that she has given me my whole life. Father, as a husband and father, I thank you for my wife, the mother of my children. Father, the limitless love, support, day in and day out care, protection, concern, support, and encouragement she has given our children. Father, be with those who no longer have their mothers. Be with those mothers and children who have strained relationships. Father, we pray for reconciliation in those situations. Father, be with those who wanted to be mothers but were not able. Give them peace. Remind them that they are invaluable members of your body and that they are dearly loved. Father, forgive us when we have not noticed, not appreciated the labors and tremendous contributions and sacrifices of our mothers and wives. Father, we thank you and praise you for the godly mothers of Christ Presbyterian Church. We thank you for their sincere faith 
and how they have used the spiritual gifts you have given them for your kingdom purposes. We pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. You will know that over the past three three weeks, um, not counting Easter, that John has been preaching on the same passage. And he's been revisiting our focus on different aspects of Jesus' discourse about the destruction of the temple, about the persecutions that his disciples were faced, and about the coming of the Son of Man. And if you paid very close attention, you'll know that he ended in Luke 21, verse 38. Well, today we're jumping ahead. John asked me to preach on the institution of the Lord's Supper for a couple reasons. First, he wanted to preach at the beginning of chapter 22. And second, we didn't think it'd be fitting to talk about Satan entering Judas on Mother's Day. So this morning, our text before us is Luke 22, 14 through 20. And if you have really good memories, you'll remember that I preached on the institution of the Lord's Supper from Matthew's Gospel last July. I'm sure you held on to every word. Um, I encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon. In that sermon, I spoke of the theological depth of the Lord's Supper, how it's a sign and seal of our covenant of grace that God made with us through Christ, and how through the table we receive the forgiveness of our sins, and we are reconciled to God our Father, and we are also reconciled to one another. This morning, we will primarily look at how the Lord's Supper has fulfilled the Old Testament Passover and why Jesus instituted a covenant, the new covenant meal for our behalf. As we begin, let us pray. Holy Spirit, pour out upon us wisdom and understanding that being taught in the Holy Scripture, our hearts and minds may be opened to receive all that leads to life and holiness through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. 1994. Twelve fried shrimp, a bucket of original recipe KFC chicken, French fries, and a pound of strawberries. 1999, lobster tail, fried potatoes, half a pound of shrimp, six ounces of fried clams, a loaf of garlic bread, and a 32-ounce A&W root beer. 2001, two pints of mint chocolate chip ice cream. 2010, Lobster tail, steak, apple pie, vanilla ice cream. 2016, two Reese's peanut butter cups and a Dr. Pepper. It is customary for a convict on death row to have a last meal before they are put to death. This is a list of final meal requests by inmates the night before that they were executed. We have a weird fascination with these meals. We want to know what people did right before they died. 
This, these used to be painted, uh, printed in newspapers. Now we mostly find them on the internet. We have this fascination with this meal. Because we have a fascination with things that we do before we die. Maybe it's a bucket list. We have desires of things that we want to do. These on death row had this desire for their favorite meal to be had as their final meal. What are your desires? What are you longing for this morning? Mothers, what are your desires for yourselves? What are your desires for your children? Children, what are your desires for your mothers and for your fathers? Those who are not married, what are your desires? Graduates, how will your desires shape your future? What are the desires of our hearts? Because we have to take this question a step further. We have to ask ourselves, how do our desires align with the righteous, holy, and good God, our Father? This is how we began our worship. We joined in with the four living creatures, and we sang, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Psalm 37, a wisdom psalm, called the people of God to sing this, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourselves in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Often I find my desires are seated in my deepest longings. My longing to be known, recognized, to be loved, cherished, and honored. See, none of these are bad things to long and desire for. But what happens to our desires is that sin seeps in. And we only desire what is good for ourselves. It tells us we can be self-autonomous, that we can fulfill our own desires, that we can fulfill our own longings. Sin tells us not only that we can fulfill our own desires, but our sin tells us we must fulfill our desires at all costs, regardless of others. Our sin tells us that we must get ours. And it is often that I find myself, instead of finding my desires aligned with God's ways, I'm not resting and trusting in him or his actions, but my sin creeps in my heart and it blinds me. And my desires become about filling my own need, filling my own wants, fulfilling the pleasures that I desire for the goal of my life at the exploitation and at the expense of others. My desires become about satisfying myself, 
centering my actions and my thoughts and my energies around myself, regardless of the happiness for my family, regardless of the ramifications upon my children, my friends, the body of Christ in which I serve. Have you asked yourself this question? How are your desires, your deepest wants, aligned with God? And for the flourishing of his people. How does your sin, how has it taken you away from the good thing that God wants for you? How do you fulfill your desires? To be known, to be loved. This morning, we will be happy to see that in this passage, Jesus' desire are different than our own. They aren't sinful. They aren't selfish. This passage shows us that Jesus is selfless, that he is generous that he's not self-centered. Jesus' desire was not only to fulfill his own well-being, but instead he desired to give himself up for others. For their good, which benefited in the accomplishment of their redemption. Jesus gave himself up for us. This is what Paul says. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For those who sought to fulfill their own desires. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, when we did everything for ourselves, Christ died for us then. Jesus' desire this night was to eat his meal with his disciples, with those who sought after him, who tried everything in their power to align their desires with his desires, and he gave himself so that they could be loved, so that they could be known and cherished, so that they could be holy. If no more than any other passage in Scripture, this passage shouts out, We need Jesus. And I know you're going to say, good Sunday school answer. But look at this passage. Look at verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God has come. Our Old Testament reading this morning was from Exodus 12, the institution of the Passover meal. It was a meal that God gave. He he commanded his people to observe as they anticipated their upcoming exodus out of Egypt. During this meal, they were supposed to sacrifice an unblemished lamb without killing its bones. 
and they were to eat of its flesh with their belts fastened, with their sandals on their feet, with their staffs in their hand, because they were leaving in haste. God was bringing judgment upon Egypt and their gods. And as the Lord passed over all of Egypt, when he saw the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, he passed over his people. And this rite was continued in the church of Israel forever. And when someone, when a child would ask their parent, why do we do this? A good Israelite would say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he has passed over our house of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but he spared our houses. This meal, this Lord's Supper, we celebrate the redemption that we have found in Christ. Over and over and over again in the Old Testament, this act of the Passover, this remembrance of the Passover is the historical act when God redeemed his people And they were supposed to remember that act. In Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, the Psalms, Jeremiah, Hosea, Amos, Micah, Haggai, all of these authors recall the people of Israel to remember the redemption from Egypt when God saved them. Hear the prologue of the Ten Commandments. God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. During this Passover meal, it was typical to have four cups of wine. It was a celebration. Four cups of wine. Here in Luke's gospel is the only time we hear of this first cup. It's called the cup of thanksgiving. From this Greek term is where we get the term Eucharist, thanksgiving. And Jesus used this cup of thanksgiving to underline his thankfulness for his disciples. He delighted in them. Christ prays, did you hear that? Jesus delights in his disciples. He delights in you. For you are his disciples. At this meal, Jesus opened his heart to his disciples. And with love, he told them how much he had been looking forward to spending this meal with them. Because he was about to die. This meal was a celebration. And Jesus is eager to share in this meal with you. Those of you who are overburdened with your sin, for those of you who are anxious, for those of you who are stubborn, for those of you who are lost, Jesus desires you to come to him and to be satisfied. Let that sink into your ears. Meditate on that. Jesus desires you. But this meal goes far beyond us just thinking and meditating about this meal. This meal shows us 
his desires for us. On the night when his disciples were about to desert him, he celebrated this Passover meal with them. He fulfilled the Old Testament foreshadow. For on this evening, Israel was to remember the sacrificial blood that saved them. And for the first time during this this meal, Jesus changes the focus of the meal. Jesus takes it and he reorients the promise. It is still the same promise of God's faithfulness to his people. But as an analogy, it's like a video sequence when one image fades away. At the same time, a superimposed image comes into focus. Jesus is preparing his disciples for something new, something eternal. In this first supper, Jesus focuses his disciples upon the cross where the lamb would be slain. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Jesus was eager. He desired to eat this meal, to celebrate this meal, because it was the last supper of the old covenant. And he was bringing forth, you know what I'm going to say, the kingdom of God. He was bringing forth the new covenant that the people of Israel had been waiting for. This is what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 31. Listen to these words. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the old covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each of one of them teach his neighbor or each of his brothers, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Jesus is our final redemption. In this meal, we celebrate this historical act when God redeemed his people in Jesus. Jesus' desire was to give himself upon the cross because he loved his disciples. He loved his people. He was wanting to give them him. Is that what you desire this morning? Is Jesus... He was eager to die for us. When we eat at this table, we dine with Jesus. And just as the inmates requested their final meal, this was Jesus' final desire. For his sentence was already given. He was going to the cross to bear the sins of the world. Isn't that amazing? He gave himself for us. He gave us the bread and the cup to be taken frequently 
to remind us he desires us. And it's interesting to notice that Jesus says that this will be the last time he takes this meal until the kingdom of God comes. You know I'm not, you're not going to escape a sermon without me talking about this. He will come when the kingdom comes. He's speaking of an eschatological kingdom meal that we will celebrate when he comes to make all things new. When he takes away not only the sin of the past, but he takes away the possibility of sin. When he will take away the possibility of death. When he will take away the possibility of sickness or broken relationships or broken families. And he will make all things new. The entire story of God's redemption culminates in the cross. And he did it for us. At the cross, we are focused on the sacrificial death of Jesus. This passage tells us that on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus was thinking of his disciples, not himself. And the good news is, is that even when our desires don't align with Jesus, he has given us his spirit to help us. Because our Father loves us, and he won't leave us to our own decisions, because we make bad decisions. He has given us his spirit so that we may find rest in the shed blood of Christ. Stand firm, Christ prays. Christ has set you free. Amen. Please pray with me. Father, what a great day it is at Christ Presbyterian Church. Not only because we get to honor those who live here. Not only because we get to see all the blessings that we have in Christ. But we are blessed because you love us. And you gave yourself for us. And you promised you will never leave us. This is where we find our hope. In Christ. Amen. Please stand.